Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Happy Easter, River Rock. And if you're a guest, well, thank you for joining us and welcome. My name is Pastor Marvin Telemontis. Well, with this shelter-at-home order, I think we all can relate to the idea of emptiness. But the good news is this. The tomb where Jesus laid, it too is empty. And that is because Jesus Christ is alive. It's the truth. Now, some people struggle with the truth. Have you ever noticed that when people struggle with the facts or with the truth, that sometimes it's because they just don't want it to be true. Or sometimes we struggle with truth because if it's true, well then I'm going to have to change something in my life that I really don't want to change. Or if I admit that this is true because I'm struggling with the truth, then I have to acknowledge that I'm wrong. I mean, I relate to this, and maybe you do as well. But what do you do when you have a personal encounter with truth that you struggle with? The truth that cannot be denied because you personally have experienced the truth. What do you say and what do you do to still be truthful and honest to you. If anything proves the kingship of Jesus Christ, it is the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday morning. It's this resurrection from the dead that proves that He's eternal. It proves that He holds the keys of both life and of death. I pray... I pray that the power of this truth becomes so real for you that you'll acknowledge it. That you will be so excited about it that you will give your heart to Jesus. So let's open up this Easter service with some prayer. Well, Father, I am so excited to be able to say Jesus is alive. Lord, I just pray for everybody viewing, Lord, this message on Easter, Lord, that they would have hearts to receive the Word of God, the Gospel, the good news, and Lord, that you would just bless them in their home right now in the name of Jesus. I pray that the blood of the Lamb would become powerful and true for each and every person. Oh, Holy Spirit, come. Have your will, have your way in us. In the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, praise God. On Friday, I said to everybody that the backstory to a good story is what makes it a great story. So let's look at some of the backstory to this Easter story. The scene was set in Jerusalem for something, something spectacular to happen. The crowd 
size. Well, it had swelled up, some scholars believe, well over a million people in the city of Jerusalem. And so all the Romans were having to figure out how do we bring crowd control and security to the situation. So there were so many more Jewish people there. There were more Roman guards who were, who were called in. Everybody was working to keep the peace. And it's during this Holy Week that the religious leaders, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, that they had determined to find a reason to be able to have Jesus executed. So they had Jesus arrested in the middle of the night. By the way, that's illegal. Because what they were, there was no charge. They were doing it in the middle of the night so that nobody would see what's really going on with Jesus. There was a lot of secrecy going on. And then they brought Jesus before the Sanhedrin in the middle of the night. All of this was against the law. It was all illegal what they were doing. They even had the Roman guards there to be support to the Jewish guard. Now they had him on a capital offense. And the trial began. They had some witnesses who gave false testimony and their details didn't even uh, weave together to each other. And yet, they found him guilty of blasphemy, which would result in capital punishment. But the Jews being under Roman occupation had no authority to bring the sentence of death to a prisoner. So they had to bring Jesus before the Romans, so before Pilate, the governor. And as they brought him before, they were, well, deciding that they needed to change the charge. They went from the charge of blasphemy to the new charge of insurrection. You know, insurrection means that he was a revolutionary, that he was a rebel, that he was going to try to cause a revolt against the Romans. And it seemed to fit because just, well, the week earlier on Sunday, Palm Sunday, Jesus was riding in on a colt, on a donkey. And there everybody was waving the palm branches as we shared last week. And it was because they were wanting Jesus, well, to be a Judas Maccabeus, to be the one who would revolt against the oppression of Rome. 150 years before, it had worked. Judas Maccabeus was a warrior, and he defeated the, uh, the oppression of the Syrians, and they were set free. Well, this was a charge that was very serious, but a verdict of capital punishment required at least one day's notice for everybody to think it through. They were wanting to do this within hours. Again, everything is so secret. Everything is, is, is blatantly against the law of the land. They so hated Jesus. Well, this was a charge that the Romans just could not ignore. The population had swelled up too big in the city. And so, 
Pilate had to take it serious. The Romans, they had no love for the Jews. Matter of fact, they disdained them. They hated them. They didn't like their religion. They didn't like their politics. They didn't like the Jews. And with the threat of a riot, Pilate has to listen. Pilate has to do something. And then the Jewish leaders, to try to twist his arm a bit, well, then they say to Pilate, you know, if you don't execute Jesus, who is definitely an insurrectionist, a rebel, a, a, a revolutionary, then you are no friend of Caesar. They were threatening him. They were playing politics against Pilate. And Pilate was caught in this battle between his own conscience. He knew the charges brought against Jesus were, well, they were false. But he also knew he couldn't afford to have a riot on his hands. So the first thing he did is, well, he ordered that Jesus would be flogged. The soldiers mocked him. They, they just beat him, pulled his, his beard out. They, it was horrendous. It was brutal. I don't want to get into all to the gory details, but to suffice to say that he wasn't recognizable after the flogging and the beating. None of this torture was enough for the crowd and for the religious leaders of the day. And they yelled out, crucify him. I don't think Pilate wanted to do that. But he had no choice. He could not afford there to be unrest and riots in the streets. So he gave the order. But he washed his hands and said, this is not on me. And the people yelled out, let it be on us and on our children and our children's children. And so Jesus is taken to Golgotha, a place called the Skull. Crucifixion was, was, was just horrendous. The Romans, they, they were killing machines. But the death of a crucifixion, this was incredibly difficult even for them. It's said that one Roman soldier actually wrote this about crucifixion. Quote, Of all the sounds in hell, none is more pitiable, meaning none more wretched, none more miserable, none more deplorable than those terrible cries through the silence of midnight where the, the crucified men hang in agony and cannot die while a breath of suffering remains. You see, it could take up to three or four days, maybe more, for the prisoner to die on a crucifix. They die by suffocation. They're on the cross, and as their body leans forward, they're getting less and less air to breathe. And so many of the guards would have to change after, you know, 12 hours, a new guard would come in, and they would have to constantly be rotating. And so during the middle of the night, while they're still up there, there are many on the crucifix, they would hear the, these agonies and these cries. The centurion soldier 
was a soldier who was, by the term century, 100, was responsible for 100 soldiers. Now, it is the centurion who was in charge of Jesus' crucifixion who was utterly amazed at how different this crucifixion with Jesus on the cross versus the guys on his right and on his left and, and the hundreds if not thousands of crucifixions that he had been at himself. This was not the same. And it changed him. So, at the crucifixion, the Roman, the Roman centurion witnessed three things. If you got your notes, you can fill in these blanks. You could have printed them off from the website. Here's number one. The centurion saw the Son of God's, here's the answer, mercy. The centurion saw the Son of God's mercy. When prisoners were nailed to the cross, they would oftentimes just yell out insults and and profanities at the soldiers that were there. They would scream at whatever breath they had at the people who were witnessing them dying. There was nothing noble about these crucifix because they were brutal and those who were hung were typically murderers or rebels. This centurion would have been accustomed to having these prisoners spit at him and yell at him. He had seen this over and over and over again. But Jesus' response was totally different. There was no anger with Jesus. There was no ridicule in his heart, in his words. What the centurion heard was words of mercy. Let's look here at Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus was praying for the crowd that demanded he was to be dead. For those who insulted and ridiculed him, he prayed for them. For the Sanhedrin that falsely accused him. He prayed for them. For the soldiers who beat him and flogged him and mocked him and nailed him to the cross. He was praying for them. For a pilot who would not release an innocent man, but let Barabbas go by and not him. He prayed for him. Instead of words of anger and hate and spite, Jesus was interceding for the forgiveness for all of them. Wow. Jesus showed mercy, not anger. In Matthew chapter 26, starting at 53, or do you think that I cannot pray? Here Jesus is speaking to Peter when they're coming to arrest him. And he says, Or do you think that I cannot pray to my Father and He will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen this way? Now a Roman legion, a Roman legion was 5,000 men. God, Jesus was saying, 
that if I prayed my Father God, He would bring me 12. He would bring me 60,000 angels. I mean, it was just a couple angels that dealt with Sodom and Gomorrah. Can you imagine what 60,000 angels could do on the defense of Jesus? Wow. Jesus showed mercy. Here's number two. The centurion saw the Son of God's love. He saw His love. At this time, as time progressed, the centurion then saw this example of love in the most staggering of ways. And John says it this way in, verse, in chapter 19. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and His mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw His mother standing there beside the disciple He loved, He said to her, and remember, He's on the cross. He's dying. And while He's on the cross, He says this to His mother. He says, Dear woman, here is your son. And He said to His disciple, He's saying to John, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her, took Mary into his home. Treated her like his own mom. In the midst of his pain and this torture, Jesus continues to act in love. He transferred the care of his mother to his disciple, to John. This would have been shocking to the centurion soldier. How does a condemned man behave like this? Something's not adding up. So let's remember what Jesus said about love. Look with me at Mark chapter 12. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And here's the second greatest commandment. It's equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The centurion witnessed Jesus' command for us to love others. As he passed the care of his mother over to his disciple. Wow. Here's three, the, the centurion. Well, he recognized the Son of God. By now, the centurion is just astounded at the way Jesus was facing death. Death on a crucifix. By the way, the Romans got the idea of crucifix from the Persians. And, and he was, do you know that we got the word excruciating? It was developed because of the crucifix. No other torture was so pronounced that it developed its own name, excruciating. But he was, he was witness. This centurion was witness. And the, and the encounter of what was yet to come was overwhelming for him. It changed him. He was going to have an encounter with truth and he had to determine, what am I going to say about this truth? What am I going to do about this truth? The centurion heard 
Jesus breathed his last. And when he did, this is what he saw. John 19. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. When Jesus uttered these words, the centurion knew something great had just happened. The ground had shook. There was an earthquake. In that earthquake, these big boulders that covered the tombs of many of those who were believers, who were saints, and it busted them open. And those who were dead in the tombs came out alive. They were resurrected from the dead. They came into the cities. And then from there, the veil there in the temple, the outer court, to the holy place, to the holies of holies. It was separated by, well, a veil. This veil was nearly four inches wide, the palm of a man's hand, four inches thick. And it ripped from the top to the bottom. It was amazing. And this soldier is putting together, it's been dark for three hours. There's an earthquake at the man's last words. These people who were dead are now walking, and the veil has torn. And he comes to a conclusion at the truth of what he's seen. And he begins to look and he says in Mark chapter 15, so when the centurion who stood opposite him, meaning Jesus, saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly this man is the Son of God. Wow. The centurion, a Roman who hates the Jews, can't stand the religion and their politics, he comes to the truth and doesn't fight it, but testifies that Jesus is the Son of God. The story is told about an old English farmer. And he went to London to visit one of the great art galleries in the city. And there he was attracted to a particular painting. It was the crucifixion of Jesus. He goes and he, he just sits down on this little bench and he begins to stare at the portrait. He gazes on each and every little nuance of the portrait. And as he's doing it, it's almost as though if nobody else is in the gallery. And he says out, Bless him. I love him. And tears begin to come down his cheeks. Other people begin to notice the man and then were startled by his words. And, and eventually they all came. And one man just sat next to him, wanting to see if he was okay. And then after looking for a while at the old man brought his gaze to the picture. A little while, he grabbed the old man's hand and he says, I love him too. The crowd had started to gather and now there were so many. Another person with a crack in their voice says, I love him too. And another, and then another, and then another. 
And they were all believers and they were all sobbing at the crucifixion. And they were all saying, I love Him. Today there's a nail-scarred hand of Jesus. And He's reaching out to you. He's not on the cross, folks. He's not in the tomb, folks. He's resurrected and alive. Will you accept the hand of your Savior and declare as the old man did, as that crowd did? That's my Lord. Bless Him. I love Him. Will you declare like the centurion soldier who said, Truly this man is the Son of God. Will you declare like the women who ran to the tomb and there saw the angel and he said, he's not here. And they realized he was alive. They came to Peter and they said, Peter, he's alive. Like Peter and John who ran to the tomb and declared, Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead. You see, the truth is, Jesus said He was God. And He proved it by raising Himself from the dead. But the question is, what are you going to do with this truth? It wasn't just one or two people that saw Jesus after He rose from the dead. They, they, they were so not knowing what to do, that the religious leaders literally paid the soldiers to lie. The whole city saw him. 500 people saw him in one spot. And he ate. He wasn't a ghost. He was alive. And so I ask you, what do you do with this truth? You have three options. One, that Jesus is a liar. He just made it all up. Well, if he was lying, don't you think they could have just grabbed the body and hung it up on something or dragged the dead body through the city? They would have found a way to prove that Jesus was lying, that his disciples were lying. Or maybe the option is, well, Jesus was just a lunatic. Well, I don't know about you, but insanity does not bring about clarity of thought and pristine wisdom and insight regarding spiritual matters it's very vague to be able to think a crazy man would have such an impact on a whole world like it is not only today but when he walked the earth so we're left with maybe the third one and i believe the best one that jesus is lord He's everything He said He was. He's risen from the dead, that He loves you, and that He's coming soon to get us all. I wonder, do you know Him? Have you made Him the Lord of your life? And if you have, and maybe you've walked away, and it's time to come back on this Easter, I wanted to pray with you, and I want to ask you if you would say, it's time for me to give my life to Jesus. I need to declare, like all these others did, that Jesus 
is the Son of God. Will you pray with me? Jesus, Lord, as, as we're praying together right now and there are people who are feeling the Holy Spirit just tugging on their heart, they know this to be the truth. Lord, let, let them not struggle with, I, I don't want this to be true. Let them not struggle with, I, I don't want to have to change. Let them not have to struggle with, well, then this means I've been wrong. Let them not struggle with anything but saying, Jesus Christ is Lord, and I can't wait to live my life for Him and with Him. So pray this with me. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Make me a Christian. Be the leader of my life. Be the forgiver of my sins. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus, you are the Son of God. Jesus, you are alive. And Jesus, I live for you. I love you. I love you. I love you. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to know something. It is time to celebrate because it truly is a happy day. It's a time for us to just let it go and say, Jesus, have your will, have your way in me on this incredible Easter holiday, this Resurrection Sunday, this happy day. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.